You watching White Lotus? Big time. Yeah. Everyone's watching White Lotus. Feels good to have another thing that everyone's watching. Feels like the first thing like that since Squid Game. Is that fair to say? Not fair to say. No? I don't think White Lotus is anything close to Squid Game. Really? Okay. All right. Well, hey, everyone. What's up? Welcome to the Colin and Samir show. Colin, what are we talking about today? All right. Today, we got a big episode. We're going to be talking about our experience at the Streamy Awards. It was kind of a roller coaster. Big roller coaster. Next, we're going to be talking about why a large creator recently left YouTube. Then, how long it took us to make a living wage with YouTube AdSense. And how much to charge a brand to run their social accounts, among other questions. Yeah, and also some gripes here and there. Yes, gripe heavy from Samir. Yes. All right, before we get into the show, we are so close to 2,000 reviews on Spotify. So if you're listening to us on Spotify, uh, if you could review us, you could rate us, five stars would be great. You don't have to, but five stars would be great. You don't have to, but but do five. Yeah, just do five stars. So they do have to? Yeah, just do. All right, let's get into it. You don't have to but it would be nice. All right, Colin, back from the streamies. And like we said last week, we were either going to be known as Colin and Samir streamy winners or Colin and Samir streamy nominees. So, you know, we will be known as nominees. Nominees, nominees. We are nominees. We are not winners. Nominees, nominees. But I will say, I feel more like a winner than I would have thought I would have felt as someone this, who didn't win. As someone who yeah. is a loser. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. by the way, not a loser. We did not lose anything. We didn't even, we didn't have the streamy. It's not like we lost the streamy. True, we never had it. We just didn't, we just didn't get the streamy. Yeah. Like uh, now it's, it's, it's a, we don't have it. We didn't lose it. We never had it. Sure. Yeah. However you want to think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm dealing with this completely fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everything <laughs> is fine over here. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the reason I feel like a winner is because the photography and the video coming out of the event is sure. top notch. Yeah. And we got to present an award to Charlie D'Amelio mm-hmm. for the Lifestyle Award. I feel like we really nailed the presenting part of that. Three, like three, two, one. And the, Charlie D'Amelio. Oh, I was going to say, and the streamy goes to. Here, we'll just play the clip. And the streamy goes to Charlie D'Amelio. And, and if you look at the aesthetic, like the one thing I'll say about the streamies is. It felt big. And that was really cool. Like the streamies has not happened for for three or yeah, three years just with COVID and everything. Like it hasn't happened in person. Last year we did present an award to, to our friends Yes Theory, but it was done in this like remote virtual way. Um, so being in attendance at the streamies, getting to spend time with our industry, with all the creators, it was a surreal moment for me. You know, I think back to a lot of times when I was a kid, like growing up here in LA, the Oscars was a really big deal. And I really wanted to be a creative of some type. And I would watch the Oscars with my friends and my family. And I would always dream of what it would be like to be part of an award show. And I think getting that experience was was really surreal for me. Before the show, I was really, really nervous. And I was trying to understand what I was nervous about because I wasn't nervous about presenting we've been on stage so much this year. Like I have no, no real nerves about presenting or speaking to an audience, but I was, I was realizing the feeling I was having, like the nerves and kind of the anxiety I was, I was faced with was this premise that a childhood dream was being actualized. And I never know what to do with that. Like, I never know what to do with this, this feeling of this is something I always dreamed about and now it's happening. Mm. I felt that when we were on how I built this, 
where I didn't know <laughs> what to feel. I was like, I don't know how I'm supposed yeah. to feel right now. I always dreamt of being on the show and now I'm on the show. What do I do with this accomplishment? That's interesting. I'm always thinking, I never dreamt of anything like this. Right. So how do I deal with this? Right. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is happening? I'm getting on stage and Charlie D'Amelio might be up there and what? It, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting thing to, to like how you internalize some of these milestones, you know, and these accomplishments in this career. Um, and it's funny, I, I assumed that that would be your, your thought. Uh, about it that you had never even imagined it. I even told you, I even as someone who's followed the creator industry very closely for a long time, because I never thought we would get to a million subscribers, I never thought for a long time that this, there was just such a period where it was like, this is not going to be a career, it's not going to work. So the idea of winning a streamy or even getting nominated was not in the cards. Like I told you, I never really wanted to win a streamy until we were nominated for one. Like it was not a goal of mine because it just didn't feel real. And then as, you know, the event approached, the closer we got to showtime, I really wanted to win the streamy. I almost yeah. couldn't believe how badly <laughs> I wanted to win that award. I mean, we had, we had our acceptance speech, you know, ready and dialed. I, I was, you guys heard it on the pod last week, <laughs> unbelievably a confident, but also I still believe good. I still believe we should have won that award. And Tom Scott, the winner of the learning and education category, is now our an, mortal enemy. Our mortal enemy. Our mortal enemy. Okay, okay, don't hurt yourself. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Him and the NHL right. hang out with each other. <laughs> I hope Tom Scott goes to an NHL game. Probably and just does. Sits there and feels how much of an enemy he is to us. Sounds like a real Tom Scott thing to do. <laughs> Okay, so this event, if you guys didn't see any of the clips, first of all, it was, it was hosted by Eric and it was actually streamed on Eric's channel. Uh, that was a big deal. That was the first time the streamies were put out on the host channel. I think that's a great idea. It's super cool. But people came from all over the world to attend this event. There was a red carpet where there was, you know, photography taken. We got to take some photos on the red carpet. And then there's this like media section where the media asks questions to creators. I didn't bring this up to you because I was waiting for the pod. And I don't think you you recognized what happened in this moment. The but, fact that no one asked us so questions? Not only that, there's a handler there who the media asks the handler to bring creators over to them. Creators of importance? So she goes over and goes, Colin and Samir are coming. And then media goes, I'd like to speak to them. Not one person wanted to speak to us. Yeah, we got caught awkwardly in the background <laughs> got, of other people's interviews. Yeah, we got caught and she was like, come on, just come, just pass through, just pass through. And I was like, none of these outlets want, yeah. want one. Like, I think we thought we were the streamies. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, the streamies told us exactly. It was a great, it was <laughs> they a put great, us in our place. It was a great ego check. Although the show did open up with a reference to us. Yeah. Like no. the first line of the show was a reference to us from, from the founder of the streamy. So that, that was, that was nice, cool. but a like surreal to be recognized by the industry. We've always wanted to be recognized by. Um, and, and like, I think you said this, like we've loved this industry for so long. It feels great to, to feel some love back. Um, and to be in the rooms with all the people we really respect. We also got to meet a lot of creators and that was really cool. Um, and the production was on point of this event, but the the feeling of not winning that award, I think, has lit a fire that I'm very appreciative of. Like, I feel like this is something I needed going into 2023 to feel like, okay, first of all, 
they passed by the education and learning category in like a montage of winners. We thought they were going to like present it the same way we presented to Charlie D'Amelio. They did not do that. They did these montages to keep the show moving and they kind of just threw that award up in the middle of a montage. And it was like a punch in the stomach. It was like, oh my God, Tom Scott. There it is. We lost. Yeah. Or we didn't get it. It was very much like in the office when they like see a car chase is on TV and then Michael Scott realizes it's on their street. There it is, there it is. I saw it. Where, where? I saw it, it's gone. That's how fast it happened that they showed the education and learning category winner. And that brings me to my first gripe with the streamies. Hit me. They did these montages to move, you know, time forward. And for a lot of the categories, I would say education and learning, fair. That makes sense. Like you're not going to present that in like a big thing like creator of the year. International creator of the year, I don't think should have been in one of those montages, primarily because Kabi Lame won it and Kabi Lame was there. Not yeah. only was Kabi Lame there, but this creator named Mythpat from India was there. Uh, a creator flew from Australia to be at the streamies. Like these creators were in the room. I think they should have the opportunity to hear their name read as nominees and like mm-hmm. recognize the global nature of the streamies and of the industry. There was a few awards like that that I felt like should have been made a much bigger deal. Yeah, I also felt like there weren't enough technical awards, in my opinion, about yeah. the making of the videos of the content. I think, you know, even the Oscars, you know, you have these roles of like director, editor, cinematographer, wardrobe, whatever. You have all these uh, trades and skill sets that are recognized. And I think it respects the people who make the videos and respects the, the industry a little bit. You know what I mean? It feels very professional. And I think there was something about the streamies that felt like it was catering to a younger audience, which I think it is, right? It's like catering a little bit more to fans who are watching on YouTube and there's young audiences on YouTube than it is the industry. But I think the industry has grown up so much since Mm -hmm. the last time the streamies were done in person. I agree. That some of the categories, in my opinion, should be more representative of uh, like the workforces and the teams that we have even representing like managers and sure, yeah, things like that. I mean, that. there was agency of the year and, and Whaler won that. Which but they cool. didn't go up on stage. No, yeah. Even yeah. like company or product of the year, right? Uh, yeah, product of the year was PopFlex from Blogilates. But yeah, it doesn't get to go on stage. Doesn't get to go on yeah. stage. Like, Yeah, I agree. I, I do agree with that. I think that, um, you know, there was, there was a lot that I wanted to hear from those creators. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the ones, if you guys don't haven't seen who won, creator of the year for the third year in a row was Mr. Beast. Jimmy did uh, tweet out, please stop giving me this award. <laughs> Got to give it to someone else next year. Um, I thought this year was the year that it should go to someone else. Uh, I think he's being serious. I think he's being dead serious. Like, I, I also think he's in another league. And this whole world of, like, creator of the year is going to get really confusing. Because like, there's such a, like what, in what league and, and what is a creator, you yeah. know, like what is a creator now? Like if, who do we consider a creator? Who, who, who's up for this category? Is it like only homegrown digital talent who emerged on social media with no, like from humble beginnings? Is it like, what yeah. is it? Is it a, is it potentially now maybe someone uses the new AI chat GPT to develop a, a creator and that becomes a creator of the year? That's too much for me. That's too much. I can't get into chat GPT right now. The highlight of the show itself for me was Rhett and Link. Rhett and Link, first of all, their styling out of this world. Yeah. 
out of this world. I told Link that immediately when I saw him. And then like, asked, who is your stylist? And then he told me, which yeah, was very which nice. nice. They're always yeah. willing to help. Oh, I wrote is, about this on LinkedIn today. Yeah, you did. I posted about Rhett and Link because truly every time we meet them, including at the streamies or not meet them, but hang out with them and spend time with them, they are so professional, Yeah, dialed in. Mm-hmm. Like their brand is so dialed. They're like, Agreed. they're funny and they're always willing to help. And Agreed. I thought their performance at the streamies also from presenting an award to eventually accepting for show of the year elevated the event. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It felt yeah. so professional. So yeah, they presented the short form creator of the year. We thought that it would be cute and ironic if the presentation for the nominees for short form was the longest presentation of the evening. And then they just didn't talk. They just like were silent and let the silence fill minutes. And it was a bit until it wasn't a bit. And they actually, Eric actually actually had to come and get them off stage. I'm being told in my ear to come read this for you. And the streamy. <laughs> Amazing. Um, incredible in- commitment to incredible. comedy. Unbelievable. And then they went on stage and won show of the year. And there was something really impactful that I think everyone should hear. And maybe we can roll this clip right now of Rhett thanking the team. All right. We're not going to take too much of your time because we already did the thing earlier. Uh, but last time, this was also very unexpected. We weren't prepared, but I was like, we need to make a list of all the people who helped with the show because we would not be able to do the show, I guess, 11 years now, almost year-round, Monday through Friday, without some very special people, and you're just going to get your first names. Our production team. They've worked so hard on this. Terrence, Amy, Nicole, KG, Taylor, and Maggie, our post team. Mike, 11 Ammo, years. Jonathan, let me say the names. Uh, Jonathan, Chris, Cameron, Tally, Catherine, and Jake. Our art team, Jesse, Lucas, Caitlin, Julian. We employ a lot of people. Uh, our design team, Matthew, Zach, Emily, and Chappie. Our mythical kitchen team, Josh, Nicole, Trevor, V, and Lily. Our creative producers, Chase, Dave, and Selene, David, and Michaela. Our writing team, Brittany, Aubrey, Emily, Caitlin, Devante, Megan, and Sierra. Our directors, Morgan and Ben. Our executive producer, Kevin, our co-EP, Gabriel, our showrunner, Matt, and our longtime creative partner and EP, Stevie. That is so many team members. That's a traditional show. I realize that's millions of dollars, a million plus dollars on payroll every month. Yeah. That many people. Probably. And then looking into the New York Times article about Rhett and Link, it says they're on track to make 40 million in revenue this year. Right. As mythical. It's just incredible. Like they're, yeah, they're crazy. in a way they're so far ahead and they're, they're this hybrid of traditional and digital media. Mm-hmm. And I think they can be forgotten sometimes, like even talking to, maybe it was either talking to them or listening to them on ear biscuits. Yeah. They were talking about, about the Rolling, Rolling Stone, Stone issue, crit- the creator issue, issue how yeah. they were left out of it. Yeah. And I do think it is valid that sometimes they get left out of these creator economy conversations, but it, it is because they're doing something so close to traditional, yeah. but yet very, very, very much based in what we do on YouTube. I do think they are they are starting to feel like, yeah, like like more traditional celebrities, even the way they show up and, and present themselves. And I think like Mark Rober is in that category too. Like he shows up on late night, but he still feels so YouTube to me. Um, I don't know what, I don't know how, like what what is the distinction in the line of those? But it, it is interesting, like as the streamies moves forward, it is a lot of people like, you know, the Hollywood Reporter, um, even in our newsletter, the published press, we talked about how it's it's the Oscars of our world, of the creator industry, of, of, of you know, the internet. 
but that's an overwhelming task because it is like, it's not just like part of the prereqs for the Oscars that it ran in theaters. Mm -hmm. The prereq of the streaming is just that it airs on the internet. That's like, that's crazy. And even you look at the categories, top streamer, there could be so many different things that you stream about. It could be news, it could be comedy, it could be this or that. Like there's just so many ways to do it. Uh, and so it is subjective and it's also difficult to make an award show Mm -hmm. around what's happening. Yeah. I think the, um, it will be challenging as it moves forward. I hope to host the streamies. I think it'd be really fun. I think you and I would start with a musical number. Definitely. For sure. And a dance. And a dance. And like really like kind of old school. Like I envision, I envision Billy Crystal at the Oscars. I know we talked about this the next morning, but like suits, suits, dancing, tuxes, dancing, maybe even like little Charlie Chaplin, like silent performance at one point not opposed yeah but that's a goal now so the goal is now to to win a streamy and to host the streamies can you sing are you kidding i'm being i'm being honest i can't tell if you're joking or not you can sing a little bit right oh my god way more than i can your abilities transcend mine yeah okay let's just get to the first question because i'm not even gonna react to that okay um that was crazy man well, well you can show us what you're working with. If what, you're what really... not, no, I'm not going to sing right now. Who do you think I am? All right. Uh, not a singer, I guess. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here's the first question. This is from the subreddit from Drum Beats Online. Colin and Samir, do you view yourselves as creators or a brand? When I look at the two of you, you have a channel that has two different faces on it and a team, a growing team and a growing business. I can liken this to Rhett and Link, right? These guys create so much content, but it's a massive corporation. And really the root of this question is I have my own channel. It has a little under 500,000 subscribers. And for years, I've always been the face of that channel. My name's not tied to the channel. It's called Drum Beats Online. It's for drum lessons. And as we try to grow and expand, I want to bring in new faces of the channel so that we can create even more content and, you know, lead people to the products that we sell. So in my case or in your case, do you view yourselves as strictly creators or a brand built of creators? And does that influence the way that you make your content or what you put onto your channel as a whole? Thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate your content. You're amazing. I love you. Bye. Good question. I'm curious to hear your answer to this because I I have an answer. I just don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think we are both creators and are building a brand. What's the difference? Well, a brand... Well, speak in specifics to the Colin and Samir brand. What's the Colin and Samir brand? So you and I individually, Mm -hmm. I would identify as creators. We are people who make things. Specifically, we make videos. You can think about it in the YouTube sense. We're YouTube creators. That's who we are. Now, the collective, Colin and Samir, that's a brand. Mm-hmm. That is something that stands for empowering creators, educating creators. Yeah. I look at it as a difference between like identity and then like personal identity mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, I guess, how we're received from other people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... Um, how I see myself versus how other people see us. Yeah, I think I very much view Colin and Samir as a brand. I mean, we were just upstairs talking to one of our editors about the Clips channel, and I was 
saying this is great. Like we're, we're launching a, a clips channel of, of all the different, you know, clips from our interviews. And I was like, this is a great way to build exposure for the brand. And you think about like, what is the brand? The brand is something that's consistent, that is easy to understand, that has a mission. Um, and I think this is a really important conversation when it comes to YouTube and YouTube creators. Cause I think one thing that did become easier for me over time was to recognize that I am a part of this brand, but I am not the brand. Like I am not Colin and Samir. Colin and Samir is like the, the thing that you and I have created together, but I can be a different thing and an individual thing. Um, I think for a long time, I didn't understand that. I always thought that like, I was all scared for us to do something together because I thought that just represented whatever I was. Yeah. You know, and like, I couldn't be something beyond that. This question- I, I want to add to that, yeah. that I felt similar to that. And I questioned whether I needed to create media on my personal accounts yeah. to sure. prove that I am something separate than, than this brand. Than the brand, yeah. Yeah, and I have come to peace with the fact that I don't think I need to. Yeah. Like maybe I will one well, day, but I think it's fine. Like I know who I am outside of this collective and outside of the brand. And for me, that's enough. Yeah. That I don't feel like I necessarily need to put it out into the ethos of like to make sure that I'm storytelling about who I am personally versus who I am as I, part of this collective. I think that's gotten easier for me as what we do as a brand is unbelievably close to who I am as a person, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, I am myself here. Uh, and that wasn't always the case. Like I didn't, there was times where we were creating content where I didn't feel hundred percent like myself. And that's when I had the craving to express myself as a individual or as a, as a creator. But now that I get to sit in this chair and show up as exactly who I am, that feels different. And this goes back to when we were making content about lacrosse, like lacrosse was a part of my identity, but on the internet, it was hundred percent of my identity. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was really lost, you know, where yeah. I was like, wait, I have all this other stuff of who I am. I like music. I like, yeah. you know, documentaries. I like film, uh, but I'm only on the internet known as a guy who talks about lacrosse. And now I think because this is a platform where we get to share what I am primarily interested in, which is the creative journey, the creative career. And I also get to sprinkle in some of my thoughts about life and some gripes that I have and whatever. Like I get to be myself here. And I want to continue to explore how that can happen. Now, that all, as I evolve as a person in the context of Colin and Samir, needs to match the expectations of the brand of Colin and Samir. So let's just say next week I get really into cooking. Sure, maybe we could feature more cooking creators, but we're not going to turn the Colin and Samir brand into a cooking show. You know, that brand is a brand. And so that's the example of like over time, who knows? Like, I might get interested in something else. You might get interested in something else. But the brand of Colin and Samir will always stand for the creator economy uh, with, the, with the mission statement of educating and empowering the next generation of creators. And I think a great example of this is Cody and Noel with Tiny Meat Gang. They talk about this in our podcast. So if you haven't gone back and listened to this episode or gone on YouTube and watched this episode that we've done with them, Noel has a great quote. I don't know the exact quote now, but he talks about, you know, how... As an artist, you have to have your own identity, your own space to play if you're in a collaborative relationship with someone. So, yeah. Also, what comes to mind is Victoria Paris saying, I'm not a creative person, I'm a consistent person. Right. And I think that's what 
allowed her to have such a valuable brand quickly on TikTok and now across other platforms. Is that she was consistent first before Mm -hmm. she was necessarily like concerned with being creative. That she could be there 20 plus times a day with the same type of thing. The utmost important thing about a brand is that it's consistent. Yeah. Like that is number one. Like you think about the brands that you recognize, you love, like they are consistent. Close your eyes and imagine the Levi's logo. Close your eyes and imagine the Coca-Cola logo. Like they're not changing that because it's consistent. Where Coca-Cola shows up, it's like brands are about repetition. Like show me something, prove to me over and over and over again that I can trust you. And then that logo represents trust. So like the yellow logo with the black faces on it, this premise of Colin and Samir, the brand of Colin and Samir in the marketplace. When people talk about us, we want it to be trusted that it represents something. Hottest nerds on, on the, the internet. internet. We didn't even talk about exactly. that. Unbelievable. We didn't even talk about that. Yeah. So that's, if you don't know, yeah. that's what the streamies <laughs> called us. That's how they presented us <laughs> onto the stage. And we did not know they were going to say that. Yeah. I, I just want to know who wrote that. Like who was like, let's say like, the smartest nerds on the internet or like the most clever nerds or like creator economy nerds. And then someone was like, I think hottest. Yeah. That's like, interesting. I where did that, that come was, from? I wonder if it was like a big committee of people like in a boardroom and they were like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's go with hottest. Hot? <laughs> <laughs> okay. But just to wrap this up, I think if you're a creator like yourself, you're saying that you have like this, this brand, right? This is a reason that a lot of creators burn out because they build a brand that's pretty strict. And I think this happens a lot when it comes to main channels. Like your YouTube main channel is a brand in itself. And what audiences expect from a brand is consistency and is trust and is, is matched expectations. So like if I expect something from this brand, I want you to deliver on that. And over time as a creator, you evolve and you evolve out of that. And you're like, wait, I don't want to do that anymore. That can also be part of your brand, but largely, you know, with creators who are building brands off their personal names, that's like, you know, you can slowly evolve, but if you're building a brand like the, you know, I don't know, like the uh, the drum studio that you have, it would be really hard for this drum studio to represent one thing and then over time represent something totally different. It's just not, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. And I, I think it is a problem that you should recognize as a creator that potentially would arise. You're really excited about a brand and then over time, maybe you're not as excited. It's because that's natural for a human being or a creative to feel that. I think that um, that runs really nicely into um, the question about um, the hacksmith. So th- this comes from uh, the subreddit as well. It says, today the hacksmith channel released a video talking about mental health challenges and burnout that the founding creator, James, has been dealing with for a very long time. That pressure has only increased with him as the channel grew, the team grew, and the pressure from sponsors grew. He was working 80 hours a week to try and keep ahead of it all. It's something that any of us could be affected by as we grow and feel those same pressures. So the video that they're talking about here is titled, Why I'm Done Making Videos. And when you click onto it, there's text on the screen. And the first thing it says is, what happens when your dream job becomes a regular job? And as you watch the video from James and his team, that's actually sort of what's happening there. Yeah. And some of that is, um, you know, is also rooted in the fact that James had been dealing with depression for a long time and it kind of was put to the side because of the amount of work that he was able to fill his days with. Um, but I do think that number, that base premise right there, what happens when your dream job becomes a regular job? 
It's an important question to ask because there's days where I lay in bed and I think about that. Definitely. Of course. When you're like, wait, do I not want to do the thing tomorrow? And if I don't want to do the thing, isn't that odd because it's my company and it's the thing I made? I think even if it's not your company, this is specific to creators, but I would imagine even if it's not your company, there's times when you come in and your excitement for it wavers and you question, is this the same job I thought it was when I got it? I think it's a common thing, right? To like think about how your excitement level for a job affects you and how it plays with your identity and sense of who you think you are. Yeah, I also think though, like naturally, right now in the creator economy, it feels very sexy to build a company. And I think that's a really uh, important thing to look at that that's not necessarily like the thing to do. And I posted about this on LinkedIn. Oh. Yeah, I mean, not to just, you know, not to just promote my post. I didn't see this post. So. I do it all the time. I thought that's why you posted a carousel because I posted a carousel. First off, I posted a carousel first if you look back in time. So I was the original carousel no, you poster. Man. You don't know. Isn't that right, it. Marilyn? Stop it, Colin. I can't take sides. <laughs> all right, so here's what I posted. I, I posted about the three types of creators that I feel like I've recognized through our conversations. The first is the maker. The maker views their content as self-expression. They want to spend their days ideating, writing, shooting, and editing. Getting involved in the business or the strategy side of the business could hinder their ability to create freely. They are not interested in scaling their voice. They need help to bring ideas to life, but leadership is not a core skill set. And it's best for this person to find external representation and support um, for the business. That's the maker. Then there's the maker manager, which I think makes up a lot of creators. So definitely very creative, but has a strong entrepreneurial side. You spend time creating and scaling the creative, but um, you can distance yourself from it, but you can't really get yourself out of the creative process. You don't want to. You could manage the business yourself, but in order to focus on some of the creative, you need help um, to come in. You're comfortable with distancing yourself from the creative process uh, over time if that supports growth and scale, but you'll never fully be out of it. Um, the manager, you view content as a product and focus on optimization of that product. You're very comfortable scaling the creative and distancing yourself fully from it. You spend your days focused on distribution strategy, monetization, and managing a team. You're comfortable building a team internally and work on scaling for growth. So those are three kind of archetypes I see. The maker, the maker manager, and the manager. And I think a lot of times what happens is a maker becomes a manager and is like, what the hell? That's not what I wanted to do at all. Like now I'm not spending my days ideating and making, I'm spending my days telling these people what to do. And I think that's where you get this like really confusing experience where your dream job became a job. You yeah, and if, and if your sense of purpose, your sense of value came from being creative and telling stories that people resonate with, all of a sudden you find that you've created this house that you don't even want to live in where you don't even get to do that. Yeah. You know, I think... For us, I lean more towards the maker side mm -hmm. and I enjoy everything we do now. I truly do. Like I'm having a good time doing all these different types of things, but I have to check myself and make sure that I'm not fully removed from the things that I really from like making. to do. Like I yeah. like to make the story edits. Yeah. You know, I get value out of that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to do it all the time. Right. But it is something that I get value out of and, and the, I enjoy. And and the funny thing is, like, as a business, it's, it's not an efficient thing to do, right? Uh, like, over time, if you're the manager, you're looking at it and you're like, okay, like, 
we have, you know, we have opportunities to do other things and grow the business in other ways. So like, you know, we shouldn't be sitting in edits. And that's what everyone says right now in the YouTube world of like, the first hire you should make is an editor. You should hire editors to help you. And I think I'm looking at this all now too and saying, you know, we were just with Mark Rober and he edits all of his own videos. You know, you're with people like, um, or you hear from people like Casey Neistat who still edits all of his videos. And like, that is being a maker. And I think I like naming some of these um, types are really important because I think right now creator is kind of just assumed that you become like a manager and, a, and an entrepreneur and a leader who builds a huge team. But that's not the case for everyone. Like some people, it's better to not get an office at like a big studio or anything or keep your rent really low for that. Not hire any full-time employees, just get contractors to help you so that if you ever just want to completely change and do something totally different or you're not inspired to make, you just don't do it. But your expenses are so low that you can just be a maker and you have external representation and you don't build this big company. I mean, I remember when we hired Jesse, I had a lot of yeah. anxiety and nerves around the fact that we now had someone else mm -hmm. uh, who, in a way, we were like responsible for their experience, for making sure that we could make enough money for them to make money. Yeah. And, you know, now I think we're in a position where um, I have a little bit less anxiety as we hire because we do know our brand. We know what we're making. Yeah. And I know that we're both committed to doing this for a long period of time. Like there was just, even when we first hired Jesse, there was still that feeling of yeah. one foot out the door, one foot in the door. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I think though, that is a lot back to the, the first question about being a brand or a creator. Like when you become a brand, it does become a little bit easier to hire because even like our last short we just put out um, about the three longest videos on YouTube, like we're working with another writer who wrote that and we hosted it. And like, that's because they understand who our brand is and they're able to write an idea that fits the Colin and Samir brand and it's performing really well. And you're like, wow, someone can look at us from the outside and understand what type of content would work for this brand. That's a pretty wild thing to think about. Yeah. You know, and I think that's when like hiring and building a team can make sense. But one thing that's crazy is like the founder, James, is gonna, he's leaving Hacksmith. But there's a team that's gonna continue making videos. And you realize like that's a brand. Hacksmith is a brand. So I think it's like those two questions kind of go hand in hand for me. Um, but I think mental health and burnout are, are so incredibly prevalent because of some of these topics of like, I've just built a brand and I've built this infrastructure and I might not want to do this in a year or, yeah. or two years, but I have to because I built this whole thing. And that'll eat at you every day. Yeah. If you kind of have that thought in the back of your mind of like, I don't think I want to do this. Mm -hmm. All right. Repulsive bag on Reddit says, this is the question no one ever answers. Every single time I hear a YouTuber talk about how much they make, it's always something absurd, some absurd number like 10 or 20K a month. What a dream. At this point, all these YouTubers are already really successful though. How come people don't talk about when their channel starts making more money than their regular job? Because that number for a lot of people looks like three to 4K a month. When would someone in their YouTube career make that? I know there's a lot of full-time YouTubers in here, so I figured this would be the best place to ask. Genuinely curious, thanks. I barely remember this time for us of when our channel was making three or 4K a month. 
primarily because I deeply remember when the channel was making a hundred dollars a month. And then I remember a jump all of a sudden to like 10 or 11 K a month. Yeah. We, we didn't have much. Are we sp talking specifically about AdSense? Here? AdSense. AdSense. Yeah. Yeah. My gosh. I feel like AdSense has been such a recent thing for us that has taken off. It's like there was no in between really. Yeah, it doesn't feel like there was an in-between. Um, well, I, I don't know. I don't, we're I think we're it's a unique case, though, because even from a brand deal perspective, it was like zero to 100 in a very short amount of true, time. True, true. Yeah, I think, I think for us, like when we look at this question of like, when did it happen that you were making a reasonable salary? Like that all had to do with brand deals for us, not with YouTube AdSense. And I think that's probably why this question doesn't get answered by a lot of creators because brand deals potentially for a lot of creators fill that gap before AdSense does, right? Yeah, definitely. So let me look back. Like I think in 2021 was actually probably a time. Yeah, okay. So I mean, if you guys could see this graph, this is insane. We didn't start making AdSense revenue really until, I mean, yeah, until like September 2021. Yeah, that's incredibly <laughs> recent history. Yeah, that's like a... That's like about a year. Uh, that's really crazy. What were we making before that? Uh, let me see. So let's just pick a month, July. So July 2021 to August 2021, uh, we made $3,400. So that's around the time that it was happening. It was right before September when it, when it jumped. How many views is that? That's 916,000 views in a month. Damn. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's yeah, almost yeah, a million yeah. views that's in a month. That's almost a million views so that's, in a month. That's, that's really substantial. Yeah. So someone commented here in the subreddit and it has a lot of upvotes and says, I'm not a full-time YouTuber yet, but I have almost 16,000 subs. I'm posting one video a month with around 16,000 unique viewers at an average range of 10 to $17 for the RPM. And they say, I can usually pull in around 400 to $450. If I could do four videos a month consistently, maybe I could make 12 to $1,600 each payout. So I think that's like a, that's a good frame of reference there for someone who's maybe like just getting going on YouTube, mm -hmm. 16,000 subs. It looks like, what was it? 16,000 also views pretty much a month. And, and that's four and they, to 500 bucks. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And I, I think the important thing though, is like drilling into what your niche is and then understanding like, are there brand deals in that niche? Cause that'll jump you up way quicker, right? Like you might be able to do $3,000 in a brand deal or across two brand deals and they pay you 1500 bucks each. Like you'll be able to make that jump a lot quicker um, when it comes to brand partnerships. Yeah. Way, way more than, than AdSense. But the thing is, again, AdSense is way easier and higher margin because you don't have to get on the phone and pitch yourself. It just happens. It's like a, the, Definitely. Van Neistat said it to us. He was like, it's this magic robot just pays you. It is kind of it's crazy. It's true. It's hard to unlock, but it is true. It's totally crazy. Um, can I share a gripe? I will never say no. Okay. Um, I'm watching a lot of World Cup right now. Same. Offsides in soccer makes no sense. It feels so subjective. Like sometimes, well, what is it? What's offsides? All calls from referees are somewhat subjective. Okay, don't get into that. It just, is just though. Explain, it's their opinion of a rule. Ex explain to me offsides in okay. soccer. Offsides. If you are the soccer player. Okay. Right? The footballer. The footballer. Mm -hmm. And you are on the opposing team but you're the closest person to the goalie. Catching my drift here? Yep. Granted, I'm just coming up with this on the fly, but you're, I haven't played soccer since I was 12. 
competitively. So okay. you're, you're on the opposing team and you're the closest person to the goalie. Someone yeah. passes you the ball. Mm. At that moment that they pass you the, the ball, what? if you, you, if you have, have you have passed your defenseman and you're the closest person to the goalie, you, you are offsides. This is my gripe. Yeah, this is my issue. Because you can't... I don't know what you're talking about. Cheat. Like, you can't just hang out by the goalie while the rest of the play is happening on the other side of the field in hopes that someone will just hit the someone ball Someone please explain this in the, in the subreddit. I don't can, know what Can someone talking. who plays soccer I, I don't know what fact check me on that? Because I think... I, I watch, I'm pretty sure I explained that correctly. And I get so excited when someone scores and then it's like offsides. And I'm like, was that, I don't, was that offsides? That didn't seem like offsides. I don't know what's going on. All right, this comes from Dipitar from the subreddit, running a brand's YouTube. How much should I charge? Hey guys, not sure if this is a question for here or r slash freelance, but considering this is the best place to go for all things YouTube, I figured I'd give it a shot. First of all, what a great brand that our subreddit is growing. Uh, the best place to go for all things YouTube. That's amazing. I don't have any gripes with that. I would just say thank you to everyone in the subreddit for making it that. Um, that's awesome. A business owner for established brand in Denver area reached out to me and asked about taking over their YouTube and TikTok channels. We talked about the type of content they would want. And I think would work well for the brand. And we agreed that it would be a good fit. But now they want to know how much I should charge them basically to take over their YouTube and TikTok. I'd be in charge of ideation, filming, editing, all of it. I've never had an opportunity like this before, so I'm curious. How should I proceed? Should this be a per video basis or should I go all in and turn this into my full-time job with them? Thanks. Okay, that last part is up to you. You know, like, do you want this to be your full-time job? That's that feels like a, a question for you. But a great way to find out if you want it to be your full-time job is to do a short-term contract with them. Hey, I'm going to do three months. I'm going to do two months. I'm going to do one month. You, you come up with the time. I would say to get a YouTube channel going, you need three months. I don't think you'll learn anything in one month. You know? YouTube's Tick, a different beast. TikTok, the bar- maybe. The barrier to entry is so much higher. But maybe considering they want you to do YouTube and TikTok, you should do all shorts on YouTube because you're making short-form vertical. Don't put the TikTok watermark on YouTube. Do not do that. Whatever you do, cut vertical video, put put it out on TikTok, put one out on, on YouTube. This is a difficult task, though, to price yourself. Also, we don't know what type of company this is. Yeah, we don't know what type of company How this much is. How much money like, they make. Like what, like, I would say, though, for me, if I was in this type of situation, I would try and think about how much money I want to make in a year. So, so let me ask you a question. Instead of coming to work with me at TLN, you get you get this opportunity to go run someone's YouTube channel, or let's say two years into TLN, you get an opportunity. So you know a good amount about YouTube. You know you you know yeah. you can you can ideate, you can film. I'm, you're, you're I'm like more of a producer. I'm yeah, not, you're yeah. 23, but they're yeah. going to want you to film and edit here totally. too yeah. and distribute. Yeah, what? How much money would you want to go? Because you lived in Denver, so you also know like, or in in Colorado, you know what it costs to live there and whatnot. Like what, what salary range would you want? I mean, at that time I would probably be looking for, granted I came out to work for a lot less, but I guess I would want 50 to 60. Yeah. To have have that that job at that age. Yeah. That feels right. In a city like that. I also think like in this economy, in this economy, in this economy, you probably want. I, I was gonna say like between four and five thousand dollars a month, you would want to do this. Yeah, I, I don't think any less. I think it could be more, but I think you probably have to prove yourself. And I don't know what type of company this is. And you also have to know: Do they deem this valuable? Why is doing YouTube or TikTok valuable to them? If it's really like the founder being like, "I think we need social media," 
and like they're not going to understand what's valuable and what's not. And I think you need to set really clear goals of what, why is this valuable to the company? What is it? Is it because we're building a community and, and 500 people watching would be really substantial because we don't have a community of 500 people somewhere? Uh, is it like we need videos to go viral and sell product? And I'm basing this off of my ROI of if a YouTube video sells X amount of product, you know, you have to understand like, what, it, what are you doing by making YouTube videos? Because there's so many different versions of goals and potential outcomes from making YouTube videos and TikToks, you know, yeah. like it could be anything. So I think you have to get really clear about that and what value that provides to the company. Cause if the company sells, let's say the company has 10 clients that each pay them a million dollars and their hope is that a YouTube video throughout the year just picks up one more client for them. That's like incredibly valuable, <laughs> you know, that mm-hmm. you potentially could reach one more client that could pay them a million dollars. Um, yeah, you, you would really want to know very clearly what success means Yeah, so that you also know, you know, after a few months, what you're worth, if you're really delivering for them, if you're not delivering what they want. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, get clear about what the outcome looks like and, and be curious about how the business works. Just like what, what, what would be the, your desired outcome of viewership on TikTok and viewership on YouTube? Once you get clear on that, you might be able to, to peg that a little bit into like, not in dollars and cents, they probably not going to share with you, you know, dollars and cents there, but like, oh, okay, I'm in customer acquisition. Oh, okay. I'm just in, in brand lift. I'm just here to like make the brand a little bit cooler or, you know, oh, I'm here so that we can monetize YouTube. Those are all completely different outcomes. All right. I want to bring this one up, changing the language of my channel about a year ago. I changed from my native language to English. My views are down, which was to be accepted, expected, but I do have a younger audience and they don't understand English. However, should I unlist my native speaking videos? Does that impact on the out? Does that have an impact on the algorithm? Having older videos in my native language, does that confuse new viewers coming to my channel? Some of my native videos are still pulling in a good amount of views. Don't want to miss out on the AdSense. Would love to hear your thoughts. Okay, so one thing that's really interesting that I shared in our Slack was, did you see this, that Mr. Beast language channels are getting pulled down? Yeah, because YouTube now allows you to, to upload have, different files d- yep. so that, yeah, people can just toggle which language they want to hear from. That's right. If you've dubbed it, if yep. you have those audio files. So that's an option here. You know, I don't know if it's rolled out to everyone, but can you dub your videos in multiple languages? Because now YouTube is enabling the viewer to select what language they want to listen to the video in. So that's a huge opportunity for someone who speaks multiple languages um, because they can do their own dubbing track. So that's huge. I think that's like crazy to see that Mr. Beast launched all these channels and he's going to take a lot of them down now and not invest in them anymore and just have multiple tracks on his main channel. So now if you go to Mr. Beast's main channel and go to you know the little gear setting, you click that, you can actually toggle between languages on YouTube. That's a really big deal. Similar to Netflix. Similar to Netflix. That's a big deal. So I don't know if I do think like from a YouTube perspective, the way I always think about it is like, this is a library of content and you want to make that library as bingeable as possible. So if you have videos that are in French and then videos that are English, you know, YouTube probably will be able to decipher between, you know, if, if a viewer watches a French one that they're probably not going to get fed an English one. I don't know, but it's also in YouTube's best interest if people are binging and spending a long time on YouTube. So I would say what we think about all the time is like, 
if we're going to launch a new channel, if we're going to invest in a format, we do want to make it bingeable in the context of our channel. So you can take that advice and and that can go either way. But um, I would say that you should prepare yourself to potentially being doing like two voiceover tracks for each video, one in English and one in your native, native language. Yeah, I think actually a really exciting time for you. Yeah. With this opportunity now. Yeah. So. Totally. Okay, cool. Um, last thing from Danny Trin on Twitter. Said, impressed by how fast we went from being real posts to fake hot selfie in AI made. Yeah, I mean, these AI selfies are all over Instagram right now. Crazy. Crazy. I mean, I posted. I mean, you're guilty. Yeah, yeah. yeah you what do you mean I'm guilty? Is it, is, it, is it a thing to be guilty of? I think so. They're dope. I've got a gripe with them. Are you curious? You're not I think curious. People are like, oh my gosh, look at what AI did. Like, the, I didn't do it. AI made me look like this. Like, this okay. is how hot AI thinks I am. I didn't know that like, this had anything. Easy. By the way, I didn't know this had anything to do with hotness. I thought this was just holy shit, that's not a real image of me. A computer generated that and it looks exactly like me. I know, me. but I think that's, what, that's the thing. It looks exactly like me, like you just said. Yeah. That's some the thing. Of I these think people, photos, are like, people are like, what's the big deal? Like, this is, that's how I look. I mean, in some of these photos, but it's not how I look. don't look great. It's nothing like how you look. That's what this tweet is about. How it's like, we went from being real to being like, oh my gosh, like, you think this, this crazy? is nothing Computers how I look? can make me like, know what I look like? Wait, this, you think this is nothing how I look? Samir, are you kidding me with that photo? Do you think this is how I look, Marilyn? Okay, just so everyone knows who's listening, uh, everyone in the room is laughing right now, and I'm showing an AI-generated image of me that looks identical to me. If you were made in a lab. If I was made, it has the crevices on my head. Those aren't hot, you know? No. Those aren't hot. I'll tell you what, I'm looking at you right now, you're not what's in that photo. It's similar, sure. It's a version of you, but I, I got a gripe with this. Yeah, the cosmic Stop, cult leader. Yeah, all these photos look like cosmic cult leaders. I don't know, man. I think this is amazing. I'm into it. I'm. I don't know. It's kind of cool the way these computers make me like. They just know what I look like. Smooth skin, all like buff and hot. It's not smooth skin. My Everyone skin is not, has smooth skin. My skin is not smooth here. Look at what you just showed me. My skin's not smooth. Oh my gosh! I have all kinds of blemishes. Stop. Okay, are you guys doing the AI thing? Because I feel like it's really cool. I think you're going to end up doing it, Cole. I mean, your girlfriend's definitely going to do it. Madeline's definitely going to do it. I think she'll do it. She'll do it. And then she'll make you do it. I'm surprised and, she hasn't And done then it. you're going to be like, dude, look at how sick I look. Look at well, how cool we'll this is. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. To all be right. determined. All right. All right. Um, all right, guys. Well, we will talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening. And also, thank you for um, not making us losing the streamy a big deal. No one made it. You know, thanks, thanks for still listening and following along, yeah. along, even though we're just nominees. 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 Just streamy nominees. Streamy nominees. Also, my Damn shirt. Damn you, Tom Scott. Damn you, Tom Scott. My shirt was too tight at the streamies. Yeah, it was. All right. See ya.